Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, everyone. Welcome all. And I'd like to welcome all our online Podbean listeners, those on Facebook and online. Everyone knows that there's no distance in the realm of the spirit, honey. So whatever happens here, if you're listening online, take a hold of it because uh, it's all part and parcel for you as well. And uh, we're enjoying great weather here in the towers. I don't know about you listeners and where you're from, but we're having great weather. Minimums of 12 or 13, maximums of 28, 29. So how, how much better could you get than that? Although Pastor Jeff said it is a little dry. Hey, listen, all we need to do is pray, don't we? <laughs> pray and ask, believing, and you shall receive. Um, so I'd just want to, like to welcome you all here today. Um, this morning I'd like to bring a message and um, I've entitled the message, Who is the Ass? So I know some people in this room will straight away guess where I'm going to go, but I'm just going to have a little decoy because I'm going to start in Revelations and, and I'm going to read from Revelations. But who knows that um, there is nothing better than a hot cup of coffee? In the morning, get up, he's all rushed to the kettle, flick it on, and you're all in for a good hot cup of coffee. Or what about that good hot cup of tea to wash down that good bit of chocolate cake and biscuit at smoker time? Nothing better, hey? Steam coming off. And who knows, there's nothing better than a hot drink or whatever it is your favourite, whether it be Milo, coffee, tea, whatever, and uh, you sit down around a table with a bunch of friends, a bunch of family, and you can just have a good old conversation. But who knows that when you pick up that coffee cup and take a sip, if it's cold, what happens? Most people would run to the balcony and spit it out, wouldn't they? Yeah, no one likes cold coffee. No one likes cold tea except me. I like cold tea. Um, and so if you wanted um, cold coffee, you would order an iced coffee, not a hot one. So here we go. Wayne is uh, a typical example of this. doesn't matter where we go. When we go out to eat out, he's always complaining about the coffee. Always complaining about the coffee. It's never hot enough. So he tries all sorts of tactics. So he asks for them, don't bring it out till after I eat my meal. Still not hot. Then they bring it out as usual. You know how you order? They bring it out straight away and put it there and then you're waiting for 20 minutes for your meal. Wayne doesn't like his coffee there before his meal. He likes it after his meal. So he puts a saucer on top, hoping that'll hold the heating. By the time he gets to his coffee, it's cold. It just doesn't do it for him. He doesn't like it. And I don't blame him. And every time we go somewhere, it's just this continual complaining. Look, I'm not even going to buy a coffee because I'm sick and tired. No one in this place makes a good coffee. None of the time is it hot at all. And I'm just sick and tired of it. So that's Wayne's story. But we're going to go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and, and 16. And this is Jesus speaking to the uh, church at La Laodicea. And he says, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot... I will spew you or vomit you out of my mouth. See, God's talking to his church here. He's talking to us. He's talking to his people. He doesn't want someone who's lukewarm. Remember I said if you took a mouthful of cold coffee, most people would run to the balcony and spit it out. And that's what God's saying to us. He said, I want a people who are on fire, who love me and want to follow me and do my will. Or 
if you're not going to do that, then you be somebody who doesn't believe in God at all. But he said, for those of us who are sitting on the fence, there is no room for those who want to sit on the fence and have one foot in the world and one foot in God's kingdom. God said, there's no room for you. He said, I will vomit you out. You make my stomach churn and I have no time for you. He said, you're like a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You can't make up your mind. Are you for God or are you against God? And this is the dilemma we find ourselves in. And I believe today the church is finding itself in a dilemma where people are sitting on the fence. They are half-hearted about God and what God wants to do in their lives. They're neither for him nor against him. And they sit on the middle line. But this morning it's not a pleasant message because I want to start stirring you people a bit. I want to start stirring you people to have a look at your own lives. Start looking at yourselves. It's easy to take the plank out of someone else's eye and see their faults, but God wants us to start looking at the, the, the speck in our own eye and start dealing with those things in our lives because God is a God who is black or white. He is hot or cold. You are in or you're out. He's, there's no middle line with God. It's one or the other. And I want to just give you a word of warning that if Jesus Christ returned tomorrow and you're sitting on the fence line with one foot either side, there is no hope for you because God requires that you follow him and follow him with all your heart. His first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love the Lord your God, not your new car, not your new house or whatever it is that you have, your new job. God is to be first in our lives. And the church is falling short of putting God first in their lives, unfortunately. There's no room for lukewarmness. And you see these people in, in Laodicea, they were a people who had everything. And they didn't see. They, had, they lived a plentiful life. They have everything they wanted. And they didn't see any need to look at the condition and the poverty of their spiritual heart. Let's not be like the Laodiceans and find ourselves in that position. So I just wanted to start with that warning from God. But now we're going to go on and we're going to go into um, Numbers 22. And this is where the ass comes into our story. So we'll go back to Numbers 20, chapter 22. Now, I'm not going to read the whole of this story, so I'm going to paraphrase a fair bit of it. So in here, we find that the Israelites have been moving forward in the wilderness. God is bringing them towards the promised land. And on the way, they've had a few victories. And um, eventually, the, the Israelites find themselves in the, um, the plains of Moab beside the Jordan River. And just across the river on the other side is the city of Jericho. Now, we're not talking about a couple of hundred people. We're talking about millions of people by this stage. And they are spread across the, the plains of Moab. Now, the king at the time, Balak, he's a bit frightened. He looks out and all these people are down there at his doorstep almost, aren't they? They're all there on the plains of Moab. And, you know, Balak, the king, had already heard 
of the, the um, victories that the Israelites had won. Now, he's no silly bloke and he knows that it's only a matter of time and he's going to be in the firing line. He's going to be next. That his kingdom will fall. So he thinks he's pretty clever and mo- like most warrior kings of the time, he starts looking. Now, about 400 miles away, up near the Euphrates rivers, is another man called Balaam. Now, he, in the Bible, is referred to as a, as a diviner or one that works in divination and sorcery, witchcraft, these types of things. But he is well known in the land. He is well known to be sought after among his own people to come and to curse something or someone or to bring a blessing against or for someone. And so being a warrior king, they believe that if they seek such people and if they're given such a word from such a person, that that will help him get the victory. So he thinks if he goes to Balaam and Balaam comes and speaks over the children of Israel a curse, that Balak says, well, then I will have the victory. So here we find um, Balaam. He seems like a pretty good bloke when I first started reading this chapter. I was a little bit confused, to be honest, when I first started reading. I couldn't follow it because um, we're going to start reading. So what happens is Balak sends his messenger. Now, when we're talking 400 miles, you know, we're talking about a month's journey here. So, like, this has taken a long time. This is no quick fix, is it? (laughs) This fellow must be desperate because he sends messengers first to to tell Balaam of um, what he wants him to do. Then they come back. Then he sends another lot of people, elders, and who knows that when you get elders and people of authority, it seems to carry a bit more weight. So he sends the elders back with gifts for Balaam to persuade him. And away they go. So we're going to take up here in verse, in verse 6. So here we go. So he sends the messages to Balaam. Therefore, please come at once, curse this people for me, that they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. So they're enticing Balaam and they're building Balaam up and who knows that when you start to um, build somebody up, they start to grow on the inside and they start to put their chest out a bit and get a bit puffed up and thinking, well, maybe I'm a good bloke after all, you know? Have you ever had someone come and say, look, come on, we need you. Look, look, we can't really do this without you. And you say, no, no, I didn't have any intentions of going there. Oh, yeah, but, like, remember last time? Like, you were the best person there. And before you know it, okay, I'll come along. But it's all self-centred and it's all centred in pride. And so Balak is using these tactics against Balaam. And this is, here we go. And it says, um, verse 7, So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hands. So they, had, they were going to pay this bloke. Now, it was big bickies. It wasn't just, you know, a couple of hundred dollars. 
It was big bickies. They're going to pay this man to come. Uh, And they spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, this is Balaam said to them, Lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. Now this is where I was getting confused. Because he's actually going to seek the Lord and see what what God's going to say. What he's got to say about all this. I thought, well, this is a good bloke. That's what we all should do, seek what the Lord wants. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam. So God came and visited Balaam and he spoke with him. And, and God said, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me saying, look at a people has come out of Egypt and he tells God what they want him to do. And God said, verse 12 to Balaam, you shall not go with them, you shall not curse the people for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. Now this is where he seems like a really nice guy. I think this fella's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Did he do anything wrong? I didn't think he did anything wrong. Anyway, so this wasn't good for Balak. So Balak was a little bit annoyed, so he ups the treasure, he ups the gift, he ups the reward and he sends... Princes back. He's even up the authority, which is going to visit Balaam. That must make him feel good. What if the queen or the king came to visit you? You'd feel pretty special, wouldn't you? So the princes are now coming, carrying greater gifts, and the same thing happens. And again, Balaam says to them, listen, I've got to consult God on this matter. And away he goes, and God speaks to him and tells him he is not to go with the princes. Now, this is where it all gets confusing because up till now I'm thinking, this is a good guy and he's doing what God wants him to do. And then it all turns into a mess in verse 19. (laughs) So now, so then in verse 18 he said, no, I cannot go beyond the word of my God to do less or more. Verse 19, he then says, now therefore... Please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Now, God's already told Balaam, no, you're not to go with them. Is this starting to ring a bell with you? I had to read this a few times for it to start to sink in for me. Um, So God's already said, no, you're not to go with them. But Balaam is thinking, hang on a minute, maybe God got this wrong. So I'm going to check out again. He said, stay one more night and I'm going to go and see God and and see what he's got to say. Um, And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to call you, rise and go with them. I thought, well, God did change his mind. He's allowed to go. But, you know, it was very subtle because this man, Balaam, dines with kings, okay? And he's known amongst his own people, for his divination. And in here, in this thing, straight away, it starts to show the heart of Balaam. Because he had already asked God, we already ask God for things, and God clearly says no. So what do we do? We think, well, maybe he got it wrong, maybe he's changed his mind, let's ask again. And this is what Balaam is doing, he asks again. So straight away, his heart is not right. And God knows that his heart is not right. 
And who knows that when we whinge and whine sometimes that much that we will have our way, whether God says yes or no, we will have our way. The people complained about they wanting a king and so what did God do? He gave them a king, King Saul. How did that turn out for the people? Disaster. We do things. I know in my own life, I know God has spoken to me and he's spoken to me and you ignore it and he speaks again and eventually he stops speaking and you go and you do your own thing but, you know, sin carries consequences and then we fall short because we have to deal with the consequences that our decisions put us in because God has given us a free will and he won't force you to do something. He'll only tell you and if you don't take any notice of that, well, then that's up to you. And so here we have Balaam. So lesson number one was pride. Pride came in because Balaam thought he was better than God. You know, pride can take a hold and build in your life. You know, and the Bible says that um, pride comes before the fall. So if you've got pride in your life, be careful. And we all have it at different times of our lives. But you will fall. It doesn't say you might fall. It says pride comes before the fall. So you will fall. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It will happen. That's the word of the Lord. You know, so this is dangerous territory for everyone to be in. So God resists the proud, but he gives life to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. You know, his grace is sufficient for us. His grace is his ability, his enabling. Not ours. If we wait on him and trust in him, he will be the one that will give us the strategies. He will be the one that gives us the strength. He will give us the plans. He will give us whatever we need to accomplish what he has called us to do. That takes all the weight off us. Yes. Takes all the weight off us. Um, <coughs> So this Balaam looks like a great man, doesn't he? But lesson number two, things are not always as they appear, are they? No. You can't feel God. Who's ever come up against someone and you think, man, that person's just so nice, you know, they're just so lovely, like, I can't fault them. But you, know, you put them under a little bit of pressure or you give them a little bit of authority or you put them in a situation where they're over people and their true colours start to shine. It doesn't take long. You can't hide from God. You can't fool God. And God could see Balaam's heart right from the start. He knew his motives. He knew what he was up about. You know, the Pharisees in the Bible, they came across as being bright and shiny on the outside, but they were full of corruption on the inside. Yes, they could quote scripture word for word. They could dot the I's and cross the T's. But inside... They were chasing for their own um, gain. They were chasing for their own gain. They were looking for things to turn around to their own benefit. They weren't worried about people's souls. They weren't worried about people following God. They were just worried about themselves and what they could get from what was going on. Full of corruption. People who appear to be doing the right thing, but they're not. We've got to be careful that we're not like that. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 
whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You know, we, we live in a kingdom that is um, of sowing and reaping. So whatever we sow, that's what we're going to reap. Whether you sow to the good or to the bad, you will reap either way. (coughs) You know, I said that sin always has consequences and so Balaam will have to deal with the consequences of what his decisions were. You know, there's something in his heart that is easy to miss but Balaam's heart was not fixed on God, was not fixed on him at all. His heart was fixed on greed. Greed. And that's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? We all know the story of the rich young ruler. In, um, and I think I've got it here somewhere in Mark, Mark 10. And um, Jesus said, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. And he goes through the commandments. And the young ruler... And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth, which he probably did have. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Well, he was so sad, the young ruler, because he knew there was no way he could do that. There was no way he could give up his riches. There was no way he was wanting to change his heart on those things. So his love of money and possessions and things was greater than his love for God. And we have to be careful that this isn't us. It's so easy in this materialistic world to put so many things above God in our lives. Judas Iscariot was another one. He was willing to trade for 30 pieces of silver the Lord's life. How cheap is that? The love of money is the root of all evil, the Bible says. Lesson number three, God looks at the heart. In Luke 5, 22 and 23, it reads, Jesus perceived what was in their hearts. Many times in the scripture it knows when he's speaking and the the Sadducees and the Pharisees are there, it says that Jesus knew their thoughts already. And he challenged them because he already knew what was in their hearts. Because he's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. You don't even have to speak and Jesus knows what's in your heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7 7 says, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, God is not as we are. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. He doesn't care what clothes you're wearing. He doesn't care what car you're driving. He doesn't care what job or position you hold. He only cares about the state of our heart. Is it soft? Is it pliable? Is it submissive? That's what counts to God. That's what he chooses and counts as a high priority in the kingdom. So then we go on anyway. So off he goes and Balaam ends up going with with the men. So away he goes. God says, well, do it and let's find out. 
in chapter two, in verse 22 it says, um, then God's anger was aroused because he went, because he knew the motives behind Balaam. That's why the Lord's anger was aroused, even though he said to him, look, just go. Have you ever said to your kids, look, I've told you, if that's what you're going to do, just do it. I know I've said that. It's not always the best option to take, but sometimes you, you just can't. People have to learn by their mistakes. And so God allowed Balaam to go. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him and he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. So he's on his donkey and he's got the two men, the two princes there, riding along beside him and here appears the angel. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the road. Who's ever hit the horse around with the reins a little bit because he's off doing his own thing instead of watching the cattle? So we all know that the animals need a little bit of touching up here and there, but this poor old donkey's trying to save Balaam's life because the angel of the Lord's trying to kill him. So he's looking after his master and he, he veers off the road and into the paddock and then he gets a beating for it. Well... Just as well, no one's from Peter around here, are they? <laughs> because this story wouldn't go down too well with uh, animal cruelty, would it? Um, and Balaam is just oblivious as to what's going on. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord... So we're talking about the donkey here, you know, they're not the smartest of animals. But the donkey can see the Lord. On the donkey's back is Balaam, who's supposed to be the seer, so to speak, the one that can see things, and he's blinded. He can't even see the angel of the Lord. So when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall to try and avoid the, the sword. That's my own words. Um, and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So who knows what happens? Yep. Another beating, whack, whack, whack. Donkey gets a hiding. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and, you guessed it, whack, whack, whack again. Poor old donkey's getting a hammering here, isn't it? So here we have it. You know, God is trying to get Balaam's attention. The donkey's getting the idea, but Balaam's as thick as a block of wood. He's got no idea what's going on. Then the Lord, verse 28, opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, "'What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times?' Now, wouldn't you be astounded if... If your donkey turned around and started talking to you. Yeah. But this man, like, how thick is he? He actually answers the donkey, starts talking to the donkey. Wouldn't you, like, stand back and think, this is not normal? What's going on here? You know, and I want to say that lesson number four, that God is a God of miracles, amen? Now, he's not, he's not the great I was. He's the great I am. So... 
if he did it back then, he can still do it now because God changes not. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. So if he wants to use a donkey to speak to you, that's what he's going to do. A frog, a lizard, he, do, he can't care what he uses and whether the donkey actually spoke or not is irrelevant but God can certainly speak through the donkey to get to you. And then this is what's happening in this case. So he's speaking through the donkey. Um, so, and Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, and that word abused means to um, mock me or make a fool of me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. Like, this story is just getting more and more out of hand, isn't it? Because, like, now he's saying to the donkey, I am so mad with you. Like, this is a donkey. Like, and this is where pride comes back in, you see, because the donkey challenged his pride. He made him look foolish because, remember, there are two other people still here. And what a comedy show that must have been for them. They must have been rolling around in stitches of laughter because they're watching all this, this man talking to the donkey, the donkey talking to the man. He's getting all upset and who knows when you're full of pride and someone puts their finger on it, we retaliate, we lash back and often it's to those closest around us. And in this case, the poor old donkey gets the lashing. So pride had well and truly got a hold of Balaam. And C.S. Lewis has got a, a famous quote and he says, For pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. We're seeing all this right here. There's no common sense in this story. It shouldn't be happening, but it is. So... And the donkey didn't just speak, the donkey was reasoning with Balaam. He was reasoning. He didn't just say stop, he's reasoning with Balaam. So we've got to remember that, you know, God was in control of the donkey's voice, but he was also in control of Balaam's voice. Because later in the, in the story we see where Balaam begins to prophesy and it's not Balaam speaking, but it's God using Balaam to bring blessing over his people instead of a curse. Uh, so the donkey said to Balaam in verse 30, I am not your donkey on which you have ridden. No. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you or did I ever do anything wrong to you? And Balaam thought for a minute and then he said no so after all this Balaam loses the argument the donkey wins <laughs> this is crazy like I was just like thinking what really is going on here so anyway as it goes on the angel of the Lord the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face so not one thing on his own did Balaam do but the Lord opened his eyes to show him actually what the whole scenario was going on and then Balaam fell down in repentance but, you know, we all know that repentance isn't just words. Repentance is an action. Amen. And there's a turning away 
in a different direction. And later on in the story we see that this isn't the case with Balaam, even though he fell down before the Lord as if he was sorry. So <clears throat> I'm just going to skip over now because we're going to leave the, the donkey there and we go into chapter 23, but we see as the story goes on, and I'm not going to keep reading it, but Balak the king takes Balaam up onto a place where he can see the Israelites and they build seven altars and they bring seven bulls and they sacrifice seven rams and then Balaam again says, I'll go and seek the Lord, which trying to make out he's a good bloke again. I'm going to go and seek the Lord to see what he has to say and he stands up there and then because the Lord has got a hold of Balaam's tongue, the Lord said, you will not say anything but what I want you to say. So God has shut the lion's mouth, amen. And sometimes we need to shut the lion's mouth that only the word of the Lord will proceed from the mouth because only the word of the Lord is good and true and honest. And so Balaam then speaks over the congregation of Israel and what comes out of his mouth, um, he says in the prophecy and basically it says, what God has blessed I cannot curse. And Balak was absolutely furious with this man. And so what does he do? He takes him to another location. And he sets him up there and they build the seven altars and they sacrifice the seven bulls and they sacrifice the seven ram. And again he asks Balaam to, to curse the people of Israel. And what comes out again? Another oracle of God, not Balaam's words. And in this one, God commanded um, that the will would be fulfilled forever over Israel. That was in the second prophecy. And then there was a third prophecy. So Balak was furious, as you would imagine. So they changed another and they went through the whole process again at another location. And again, Balaam spoke only blessing over Israel the beauty and the strength of Israel was spoken over the people. So lesson number four was here, a change of location doesn't change the will of God. Amen? And I know there's people sitting here and I know myself sometimes you want to run away because you know the call of God on your life, you know what God's expecting of you, but we run from what God wants. God's saying to you today, stop running Stop running. You know, you've changed towns, you've changed cities, you've changed churches, you've changed jobs and every time the same thing turns up. Stop running. When you change your location, it doesn't change the will of God. You know, and God will have his way. God will have his way. We need to surrender to what God wants and stop trying to change his mind. We've got to stop trying to be like Balaam. We just need to surrender, fall at the foot of the cross and say, use me, Lord, show me, Lord, teach me, Lord. Lesson number five is, because I'm not going to finish the story, that's all I'm going to read about Balaam and, and it does go on and different things happen. But lesson number five is God loves you. God loves you. He loved Balaam. He was trying to get Balaam's attention. He was trying to change Balaam's heart. But, you know, God has given us all a free will and he will not override that. 
So if you want your way, you can have your way, but not without consequences. And God does love you very much. And we're going to read that in Romans 8, 33. And 34. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? You know, God's will is that none would perish but that all would come to salvation. His will is that we would all know him intimately, that we would all know the love of Christ, that we would all know our authority and our power in Christ Jesus that we would all rely on God and not ourselves to get us through each and every situation. But too many of the people in the church are like Balaam. And I'm speaking about myself here. I'm just looking at you people and pointing fingers because most of us are like the rest of us, amen? And most of us don't have that intimate relationship with God. And I just pray this morning that As you sit there, I just want you to ask God to show you and reveal to you. As gold is is boiled and brought up in the furnace and the dross is brought to the surface and it's skimmed off. When you make jam, all the impurities come to the top and you skim it off. It's the same thing. God is bringing the impurities to the top. He's not pointing the finger at you. He's not bringing condemnation. He loves you. And at this very moment, he's in the courtrooms of heaven interceding on your behalf because we know that it's his will that not one of us would be led astray, that not one of us would be deceived, that not one of us would fall short. He doesn't want not one of us to be weighed in the balance and be found wanting. He wants us all to measure up. He wants us all to come to him. And the only way is through Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ here this morning, come forward, please. I'll pray for you. We need to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. As Julianne so beautifully put it, there is no other way to the Father but through Jesus Christ. Amen. Through Jesus Christ. So as Julianne just plays on the keys there for a moment, just have a think about your own life. Have a think about the way you've been doing life with God. Are we a little bit like Balaam? You know, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but not all of the people all the time. And you certainly cannot fool God. We are like an open book to him. He knows what we've done. He knows us now and he knows what we're going to do tomorrow and the next day. There's nothing hidden. The only person you're fooling is yourself. the Lord would have me say this morning choose you this day whom you will serve there is no other God besides me says the Lord there is no room for something else in your life that is above me I will not tolerate one foot this side and one foot that side but only those who follow me with a pure heart 
Only those who surrender and come to the foot of the cross will I acknowledge, says the Lord. It's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. There is no struggle in it for you. For if you follow me, I will show you the way, says the Lord. If you surrender to me, then you will know the way. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It is not for you to decide this or that or how or when or why, but it is for you to put your trust in me and me alone. To know that I am who I am, that I am the great I am, that I am powerful and sovereign, that I move among my people today as I did yesterday and I will move again among my people tomorrow. The Lord says, I will have my way. I will build my kingdom and the gates of hell shall not prevail, says the Lord. For it has been spoken and it has been written and it will be done. Salvation belongs to me, says the Lord. Heaven belongs to me, says the Lord. Surrender your will to me. Tarry not for the hour is late, says the Lord. The door of grace is creaking on its hinges. Time is short. But there is time for you to repent and to turn and to come to me. But the time is short and the door is about to close. And the day of grace is about to fade into the past and my judgment will be upon you. The Lord says, tarry not. Come and come quickly, says the Lord. I yearn to have you with me and I yearn for you to be seated at my feet. For in my house there are many mansions and I have one there just for you. But I will not override you nor will I compel you and cause you to change your mind. But choose you this day freely whom you will serve. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Just invite anyone who who would like prayer this morning to come on out the front and love to pray with you. If there's anyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, please don't wait. Today is a day of salvation. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised one more minute. But if you don't know Jesus, come and come quickly. Thank you, Father.
Because of his great love. 